Jen. Sarah. Jen, I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm not. I was driving home today. I was listening. Oh, no. I was driving home today with oh, Little no. Romance and I was listening to iHeartRadio. And as one does when you're with a teenager in the car. And it, should I should I know what that is? You'll know when your child gets older. Okay. You guys, I'm so uncool. I don't know what that is. It, it's okay. You're in a this is a dark time for you when your kids are little. <laughs> so they're saying that they have podcast awards. And and I was like, but no one has <laughs> notified me. <laughs> I'm off awards, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you win the podcasting award of my heart. And also okay. I think probably a lot of people who listen would say like, this is a great podcast. We really enjoy it. So if you work for iHeartRadio, hello, tell them that, you know, people can listen to the radio and read books. <laughs> hello. Those are not mutually exclusive. I mean, I think we could probably be in the running for like most fun book podcast. Absolutely. I mean, how many other fun book podcasts are there? There's like, let's read Ulysses. <laughs> I mean, literary disco does have a great name. But truthfully, we would submit the pegging episode <laughs> because that's clearly you guys. All right. Can we talk about the fact that all of our <laughs> listeners are pervs in a delightful, <laughs> wonderful way? No yes. king shaming you guys. But our pegging episode, like you guys listened to it. Also, welcome new listeners. We don't understand where you came from. <laughs> They've been waiting for us to deliver the content. I know. You have been. Hang on. I'm really, I'm coming in real hot. Coming in real hot, you guys. Hang on. And I have this new setup, so everything's upside down. <laughs> oh, you're like, oh my God, if you could see Sarah right now, she's literally like teabagging her microphone. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so can I tell you, so today, um, should we introduce ourselves, Sarah? Oh shit. Yes. <laughs> you go. Welcome. Welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. I'm Jen Reads Romance. I'm obsessed with awards, apparently. And this is my friend who is better than me. I'm Sarah McLean. And it's not that I'm better than you. It's just that I've won an award and then the whole award <laughs> fell down the toilet. So I'm off awards. It's true. I don't think I've ever won an award win the award for my faded mate oh that's nice it's it this this week i texted jen and i was like you realize we're like work wives right like we <laughs> i know basically we we in a if in a legal situation jen and i are like protected by spousal courtney milan's like freaking me out and i'm like looking into dno insurance i don't know what it is but i think yes, maybe we, we need, need it. it we definitely need it um, no, so we, last week we were so proud of ourselves because we started the podcast with uh, "Welcome everybody to Faded Mates," and I was so proud of us. And then Eric pointed out that all we did was say "Welcome everyone to Faded Mates," and then we just bragged about how great we were, and then did not actually introduce ourselves. <laughs> Eric so. is like, do you ever see that commercial where the kids like you're harshing my dream mellow? Like that's <laughs> Eric. <laughs> He's just it is like harshing my dream mellow all he's, the time. Well, I feel like he's just constantly like he's he's holding us down to earth. We're like balloons that would float away. And we just think sometimes we you guys sometimes we think real highly of ourselves and it's not really necessary. But sometimes. Oh, we yeah. Do. Last week he was like, I cut out the first 20 minutes. You guys just said the same thing you said the week before. OK. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was real harsh. The text that I got from him was, I'm cutting out the first 20 minutes. You're being kind. You're not telling the truth. (laughs) The truth is, the text I got from him was, I'm cutting out the first 20 minutes of the podcast. It's boring. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Anyway. I feel like the pegging episode, I I feel like, is it possible we peaked? I'm real worried about it. We jumped the shark or the carrot or whatever it would be. You guys, and and so many people came for it. And so he literally sent us a text earlier this (laughs) week and he was like, you guys got to do an interesting episode because you got all these pegging people and now you're going to lose them all. And I was like, you're making me feel really bad. (laughs) But that's why we have him here. And you're, I promise you guys, the episodes are better for him. So, you know, thanks, Oh, God, yes. Oh, I mean. But no, so the pegging episode was our most popular episode ever by like 800 new listeners or something, like some (laughs) crazy number. So welcome, all of you. Um, We don't always talk about smashing from the back, but... I stole that from um, sh- from Aida. Uh, yeah, she's our goddess. My favorite, for my sure. new favorite, my favorite musician. <laughs> um, yeah, and if you haven't listened to the pegging episode, that doesn't make any sense to you. But go back and listen to it. You'll be better for it. Trust me. Yeah. Um, so, but then I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, we went from pegging and we like gained all these listeners and then we went right to born and nice and like, nor is great, but it's a real different audience. <laughs> yes. So, sure. Um, welcome everyone. It's a big pool and we enjoy having you in it. And this week, oh, um, we wanted to pick something that we loved, like that we really was going to be a fun read because it is rough out here in romance right now. Oh, God. I do love this book. It's also real dirty. So, <sighs> Scotty. Oh, Scotty. <laughs> this is not a Star Trek Scotty. No. Mm-mm. Although there are jokes about Star Trek in this book. There are. It's amazing. This whole book's so perfect. I mean. Oh, Kristen Callahan. What yeah. the fuck? Why is she so good? God, it makes me really mad. I know. I'm sure. I I, I feel like this is the best part of the podcast Hi, where I'm Kristen, like, I love you. I was like, boy, it must suck to be an author. We talk about all these amazing, perfect books. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about Manage and Fall and maybe Idle while we're at it. The three books in the VIP series by Kristen Callahan. Um, Manage is my favorite. Fall is Sarah's. Nobody's perfect. Um, but before <laughs> we do start despite all the giggling at the top content warning um this book will have discussion of suicide and depression and so um we don't usually content warning episodes but that's those are big ones so we just wanted to put that out there in case you needed to hear that before we get started so oh man okay okay so can i tell you my kristen callahan story please do So Kristen Callahan came into my life, weirdly, not via any of her contemporaries, Um, although now as, I mean, like, I feel like everybody talks about Kristen's contemporaries. She came into my life via her um, steampunk series, which I feel like nobody knows is amazing. And I really, truly, like, I love these books so much. So I don't know how many books it is. It's like four or five books in the series. And my favorite of them is um, Evernight. It's called the Darkest London series. Is that it? Yes. 
Yes, that's the correct one. Um, but I just want to make sure because I'm going to talk about Evernight, which I read. So I was reviewing for The Washington Post. I had just gotten the column for The Washington Post, which now actually doesn't exist anymore, um, although I do still write for The Post periodically. Um, but I was writing a monthly column for The Washington Post where they asked me um, – it was like the dream job, right? Because mm-hmm. they asked me to every month pick three romance novels that I really loved and just write about why I loved them. Um, and they wanted new releases. So that's actually how I started really reading every day mm-hmm. because I knew that I would have to to really like talk about the breadth and depth and scope of the genre. I was going to have to be reading like way more books than I right. was already reading. And I was already reading like 10 or 12 books a month. So I don't know. Um, more anyway. Books. So and then I started to really notice the the dark spaces in my in in my reading like the places where I hadn't turned the lights on yet like mm-hmm. I rarely read paranormal I rarely read romantic suspense and so like I started really having to like think carefully about how to tackle the whole wide world of romance um and somebody whispered in my ear about Kristen's books and I was like oh the darkest London series it's steampunk steampunk's kind of weird like maybe I'll read this and see and mm-hmm. I sort of turned my nose up at it I was like eh, I don't know this seems like it's gonna be real weird and man and I read Evernight and man did I love this book because as we all know one of my favorite kinks is he is poison to everyone but her <laughs> um, True. And this isn't quite that, but it's pretty close in, like, a twisted way Um, because the hero, Will, um, he has a clockwork heart and he's been um, sort of built – he's been built – he's a, like, kind of humanoid type. It's steampunk, so, you know, go with it. Um, But he has a clockwork heart. That is slowly killing him, right? Like, because Mm. the steel – Like Iron Man. Yeah, exactly. The steel in his heart is, um, like, spreading through his body and essentially killing him from the inside. And the only person who can help him is this woman, Holly Evernight, who is able to manipulate steel, like, manipulate metal. And so she literally can lay hands on him and push the metal back into mm. his heart. The problem with this, ordinarily, this would be fine. Like, we just see Holly once a day, and it's fine. <laughs> problem with this is Holly is one of the people who installed the heart to begin with. Ooh. So conflict, conflict, conflict. And I gobbled it all up, and I was like, who the fuck is Kristen Callahan? <laughs> and then I bought all the books I could find. And Interesting. So I've been a Kristen Callahan fan from that moment, that book was published in 2014, and I cannot believe it is six years since then. <laughs> the turn of the century, Sarah. Oh, my God. <laughs> For me, my Kristen Callahan origin story. Yeah, because this is your book. Yeah, this is not my Kristen Callahan origin story, though. It is yeah. the Who Did It Better in the Library post. Oh. And I was hunting <laughs> for books that had people doing it in the library because I'm a that's how I am. And what happened was I picked up the book, um, The Hookup. And I will be really honest with you, everyone. I don't think I read the whole thing. <laughs> I was basically just reading for the library. Searching 
for library sex. Library plus thrust. (laughs) (laughs) There is only one circulation desk. That's right. And um, I'm going to make that joke every time we talk about libraries. So I just went back and looked. I awarded it the bronze medal in that post. And then, and now I can't really remember exactly. I remember someone on Twitter recommended Manage to me. And I think what it was is I said, my favorite thing is stern, uh, aloof character without feelings. <laughs> Meet someone who makes him go, oh, shit. And someone was like, I've got the book for you. It's managed by Kristen Callahan. And I read it and immediately was like, uh, top 10 book forever. And what's ironic about it is this book... Uh, there's a lot of, you know, the we talk about how the exception always proves the rule. There's several things in this book, which if you described them to me, other than this, like really like the main thing, should not work for me at any level. And the two biggest are, um, it's in present tense, which I hate. And by the way, it is hard for me in this book. It's, it's whatever. I don't have to talk about it, but it it's, it's not something like that every couple pages I'll stop and be like, Okay, fine. But also the uh, this person cures my insomnia is as a person with real insomnia. <laughs> I know you do, but it's right. Like it. it's so my king. Oh, so yeah. But I'm a person who literally I lay down my I put, my head hits the pillow and I'm like a robot. I just like power down and am asleep. So no, I get it. I had to go to sleep therapy. I've done. I've done. I had a sleep Terrible. therapist. I don't mean to make light of your no, insomnia. No, it's fine. I do love it. Because it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Okay, but in real life, <laughs> if you have trouble co-sleeping, yeah, it doesn't mean that you aren't profoundly in love. Just know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just know that. Yes. Oh, this book is so fucking good. All right, so I guess I should summarize. Should I summarize? And then do you want to talk about fall? Because we're going to kind of talk about them together. Well, why don't we talk about, yeah, because I think we should talk. So let's talk about it. So broadly, we've talked about this series before, and we've talked about this book before slightly. So let's talk about the past. We have new, we have at least 800 new listeners. Hi. Hi. So let's talk about what we're, what. What we did last year, why we've talked about it, why we're doing it again. Yeah. So when we first started doing interstitials, like right in our, our season one, we were reading um, a series called The Immortals After Dark by Cressley Cole. But we wanted to give people like a week off in between books, like reading one book a week is a lot. And our producer, Eric, was like, you guys should do these little mini <laughs> 10 minute episodes in between. And our very first. First one or two, maybe. I think Escorts was first and then Rockstars. And they were actually pretty short. Like, it was really just going to be like, we're going to talk about a couple books. And then, of course, it turned into just being a full episode where we really dug into, like, a trope or a theme. So we did talk about Fall um, on the Rockstar episode really briefly. But... Oh, was it Fall? I thought it was Managed. No. Go on. We didn't. because I Not really, though, because we we talked about it only a really little bit. Because it was like two minutes. Yeah. And I think it was really framed in the nature of like one of the great things about rock star romances are found families. Mm. But I think one of the – but that that leaves so much on the table that we could still talk about with this series and with these books. Now, the – Well, I think we should also – we're also obviously going to talk about found family because that's 
sure. part of it. But sure. yes. So the first book is called Idol. I actually only read it for the first time. I started with Managed and sort of and then went to Fall and never went back. And then Managed is the second book and Fall is the third. And I did the same thing, by the way. I read Managed because you told me to. Yeah. And then I read Fall when it came out. And then I went back and read Idol. And Idol just isn't, it's just not my kink. Like, it's fine. It's, it, it, look, Kristen Callahan can write. Sure. I actually, Man. I'm going to tell you what she perfects in Managed that then made me clear why I thought, like, Idol didn't quite work for me. But anyway, in Idol, what has happened at the beginning of Idol is that um, we get the lead singer of, like, the world's most popular band, a, a rock band mm-hmm. named Kill John, and his best friend, who is, like, the other lead singer of this band, tried to commit suicide. And he, the whole band essentially is reeling from this, but now they're going to get back together. So book one is, like, one of the lead singers kind of falls in love and goes back to the band. Book two, which is managed, tells the story of their manager, Gabriel Scott, and everybody calls him Scotty. Scotty! Scotty! I, like... Seriously, <laughs> look back, like did a Twitter search of just like Scotty from me. And it's at least like 15 times where I just say his name and have like a swooning gif. Also, because I'm sure you also have like 62 of them with extra E's. Oh, of course, I can't find them all. Exactly. <laughs> That's so true. Um, and then the third book, Fall, is Jax, the guy who tried to commit suicide that yeah. sort of sent the pinballs kind of right off. And then I think what I've heard is a fourth one's coming, and I just want Kristen to know I'm always available to receive arcs from her, always. <laughs> same, same, <laughs> Kristen. Kristen knows. Like, you know, when we started this, when we, not long ago, we did an episode where I just began with, like, oh, I want a new Kristen Callahan book. And, like, oh, yeah. Here's the thing. You guys, we've talked about reading slumps before. Jen and I have both been in pretty big reading slumps this year. Um, Although I just read a book by Holly Trent that, like, moved me in the direction of not being in a reading slump anymore. Um, We'll put that in show notes. It's the one about the book, The the Boat Builder, which is gone from my head now. But (laughs) um, anyway, we'll talk about – maybe we could do a boat builder podcast. I'm on a boat and it's going fast and I got – Romances about boat builders. Um, Anyway, so, but. And pirates peg. Reading Trump's. Reading Trump's. Girl, get away. You know, here's the thing. It's Donald Trump. Let's just lay it out there. He's ruining romance for me right now. And I don't get it. Like, my head is just not in it. Yeah. Like, yesterday, I I texted Jen and I was like, I'm just, like, I'm so delighted because this week I have read Kristen's reread Kristen's books and I've reread the player and rune yeah so I mean I'm just over here doing that but my point is Kristen's books are so good and she's so she nails it every time and I know I know and I don't think she would I don't know Kristen at all. We, I mean, like we're Twitter friends in the way that people are friends on Twitter. Sure, um, but we've never met, and and you know, it's not like we text or anything. But um, I really feel like I I can tell from her release dates that she's a slow writer like me, mm-hmm. and I think that part of that part of what you know the slog is for her. I think 
um, is a similar slog to me is this idea that like you want you just dwell on every sentence. You want every sentence to be like the right sentence and then it moves forward. And she just and sometimes that feels really plotting and hard on the reader. And sometimes it just makes for a really delicious book that does as Jen would say, like hunts for big game, yeah, but is also sexy and funny and clever and modern mm-hmm. and all the things that we're looking for. And these books just hit that. Yeah, I I agree. And I think so managed, you know, it's really funny. I reread parts of a lot and I reread from the beginning and they Sophie and Scotty, right? Sophie and Gabriel meet on a plane and he is a nervous flyer. But of course they're in like super fancy first class, the kind where they like make you a room right inside the plane after you fall when you fall asleep. And he's bought two seats because he doesn't like to show that he is a nervous flyer. He doesn't like people to see. And they and she ends up figuring out just how scared she he is and they sort of cuddle and there's this great scene and I don't think I'd caught this before because I I it's been so long since I've reread the beginning before Lord of Scoundrels where she unbuttons a button in his shirt and she like kind of is like petting his belly <laughs> and I thought God damn, this woman is calling upon the greatest yeah. tropes in romance yeah. and giving them to our heroine. Yeah, it's interesting because also I know from Twitter that Kristen is a big romance reader, like, and has been for a long time. And even if I didn't know that from Twitter, I would have probably told you that she, I could have told you that she was. Like, yeah. she just, she seems to know, you know, we talk all the time, we talk about the promise of the premise and we talk about the tropes and we talk about what the reader experience should be when yeah. they're reading a romance novel. And sometimes there are some books that just hit that experience perfectly. And Kristen is one of those writers. And the only way you get to be that kind of writer is by studying reading the a genre. lot of yeah. So Scotty and it's really hard. It's funny because everyone calls him Scotty except Sophie. She calls him Gabriel, and I'm like, it's really funny how I'm like, well, he's Scotty to all the rest of us. So anyway, Scotty and Sophie, um, you know, he is inexplicably drawn to her, but because of you know, his feelings of abandonment and being a man and not being able to, like, be in touch with his feelings at all. He um, is really, like, reticent. I mean, he's very distant and sort of cold and business-like with her, except that he's realized that, like, one of the only times he's been able to sleep was with her on this plane. So he invites her over one night. He can't sleep. He knows that she's jet lagged. He's sure she's awake too. And she comes over to his house in the middle of the night. And of course it rains on the way over. They got all wet. So they have to like shower and change clothes. And there she's in his bedroom and she's like, God, that bed looks so comfortable. And she lays down and they sleep together and he falls asleep with her too. Like he literally can't resist. It's like oh, gravity. It's so good. It's, it's so, good. so good. And so then he goes through a couple, you know, more, you know, so she is what, and this is a, a kind of another really interesting setup. He is the manager of the band, and she's going to come on board as their new like photographer, like sort of social media expert. She's going to document the the tour. Yes, but tell everybody what how, what her relationship is. With yeah, but this. it turns out that she was a paparazzi. 
And she, the night that Jax committed, tried to commit suicide, she was the one who took photographs of him. And it turns out to be that he had sort of asked her to come up and she thought maybe they were going to hook up. It wasn't clear. And then it's only in that moment, like a year later, right, when this all happens at the beginning of this book, does she realize that he just wanted to make sure like maybe someone was going to find him that wasn't one of his brothers, essentially. And it's this this whole, the beginning of the book is just this emotional wrecking ball for everyone, for Sophie, for Jax, for the whole band, for Scotty. And I, and I think one of the things we talk about a lot is how romance is about feelings. Kristen mm-hmm. Callahan is an author who understands what that means and knows how to deliver feelings. Yeah. And yes. it is a tour de force. And I think, mm-hmm. so then what happens is Scotty says to her, like, you know, they're traveling all over Europe, essentially, in buses, right? They go from Lisbon to wherever. Yeah, this sounds terrible, by the way. Well, like, it's like million-dollar fancy buses. I don't still, know. I don't want to, like, ride on a bus with a bunch of yeah people I work with. <laughs> well, and they stay in fancy <laughs> hotels when but they get Scotty there. Scotty has his own bus. Yes. I mean, that's how it has to sure, be. Sure, <laughs> of course, of course. Well, because he can't sleep, so he has his right. own bus. So he basically cuts her a deal. He says, if you, like... I just need you to sleep with me. It's not going to be about sex. I can't offer that to you. I'm not good for you. But I'm going to tell you, it is like. You guys, it's not going to be about sex. It has to be. I mean, also, like, here's the other thing. Remember what I said about Kristen Callahan, like, clearly having studied the genre, clearly having mm-hmm. read as many romances as we have. Like, she layers the tropes in. Like, oh, Yeah. She's like, oh, insomnia. Oh, I just need you to sleep with me, but we're never going to have sex. It's not like that. Oh, of course. Like, like sunshine heroine and like the grumpiest fucking hero you've ever met in your life. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Let me put it found family. Like, let me put it all together. Oh, road trip. Right. (laughs) Right. All of it. Here's the part that I think I didn't really. I think it only made sense to me after reading Idol which uh, is is a good book. I really like the characters, but there's a really rough transition in Idol from they're sort of together in like North Carolina. He's rented a house. They're on like the Outer Banks or something. And then he has to go back to the tour. And, you know, I don't I mean, I, like, I don't know, Kristen, I'm sorry. I love your book, but it's a it, it's a real baggy middle. And it's kind of a rough transition from like this insulated world of the two of them to the world of the band. And one of the things that managed, like, figures out that that book didn't was how to completely be have people – the scenery is constantly changing, but the world of Sophie and Scotty is so insular. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the outside world, like, never really impacts them. And it's really brilliantly done. And mm-hmm. so even though it would, like, you'd have maybe a hard time calling this, like, a snowed in romance or, like, a close quarters romance, it is. Oh, of course. It is. It well, is. Because it's a road trip romance, too. Like, right from the jump. Like, the plane to the bus to yes. the... Like, they're never... They're just never... And they're never still. It's, what she's done is she's given you this like so the appeal of the rock star romance there are lots of appeals of the rock star romance and we talked about some of them and one of the things that i i don't remember that episode because it was a thousand years ago oh, so long but 
and I haven't re-listened to it, but one of the things I wonder if we talked about is this appeal, the celebrity piece of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Because one of the big appeals of the rock star romance is the same as the Prince romance or the whatever. It's the like superstar musician like who could have literally anybody in the mm-hmm. whole world but chooses normal girl. Yes. Superstar actor, superstar prince, superstar whatever. And in this case, but that is a per- very per- – and that's the first book in the series. That's Idol. So – and it's a little – and it's Fall too. Um, yeah. But there's – although with Fall, it's a, there's a different layer. But the um, – but in this case, what Kristen has done is sort of stripped away that trope, like, and said – I'm going to give you the found family and the, like, Mm -hmm. celebrity aspect. Like, I'm going to give you the feeling of this world. But I'm going to show you how two people who are not celebrities make this happen. Live in this world. Live in this world. And there's something so compelling about that because, like – it's just a shift. It's you don't see this story in these books ever. So it's right. Like we're on the periphery of it. We're being drawn along by it, but we ourselves are not really of it in the same way. And when they are of it, right, there's this one of my favorite scenes in this book is that um, Sophie gets injured. She's in a crowd that is essentially wild. Yeah. And she says that like crazed for the like fanatics. They're fanatics. Yeah. It's like there's an edge of danger in it. And she uh, meets like another like paparazzi, someone she used to know. And he ends up essentially like elbowing her and kind of forcing her back into the fray. And Scotty freaks out because he cannot handle seeing her in danger. And it's this really telling moment like for both of them. And um, it really is like when they are really thrust into like the spotlight that the band is in all the time it's like dangerous yeah it's really particularly interesting because one of the struggles i mean i love actually a celebrity romance but one of the struggles with the with romances that live in that trope is that as a normal reader watching this like reading the the book you lose like, it's all important to the musicians because it's important to the musicians. This is my dream. I've spent my whole life wanting this, like, working toward this thing, mm-hmm. right? And then it's always the conflict is, like, is celebrity really, like... Worth it? You know, or what yeah, is it costing blah, blah, blah. me? Yeah. But the reality is, is that in this particular case, what she's done is said, like, this is important because there is a whole world of people who rely on the this community to exist and this band to do its job yeah and plus it's dangerous like for like there are real risks to this that aren't like oh maybe i'll you know overdose or oh maybe i'll you know one day not be famous the risks are like for normal people who just happen to be satellites to the yeah planets of the of the um right musicians and i just really like it. I really like that Kristen did something I I like that it's it's so different. Yeah. And all of her books feel that way to me like Idol feels like well, Idol feels like a rock star romance to me, right? But like this is it's Cressley again. The first book in the trilogy feels like you know, 50 shades. Like it feels like she's learning to drive a, a stick yeah. in a Ferrari. 
And then the second book she gets, like, she, she figures it out. Yeah. Like, she figures out how to change gears and, like, you're off to the races because that second, this, this book is not a rock star romance and neither is the next one, even though they are. Well, and I think one of the other things that I think is really brilliant about this book is rock star stories come with, you know, I think maybe it's very American, um, the idea that great artistic greatness often comes with self-destruction, right? And I don't think that's just American, though. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, sometimes I'm wary of, like, making blanket statements. I don't know if it's it is or not, but it's definitely... Well, I, mean, think, I mean, if you think about rock stars that have really, like, ruined their lives, yeah. there are certainly a lot of English rock stars that sure. have done the same. Sure, sure. So I think that that's, like, one of the brilliant like really smart moves she makes is that the self the the self-destruct button on the band and jack's trying to commit suicide happened a year before book one even starts mm-hmm. you know jack's book which is book three it was two years ago and so you really are giving people you're not you're kind of giving people the impression that like those wild and crazy times happened but they happened in the past and if you've read um, a book that if you're interested in like rock star stories, it's like almost famous like that. I love that movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just wrote uh, read a novel called Daisy Jones and the Six, which is fantastic. And it's um, people like but essentially it's like the rise and fall of a 70s rock band. But like as it's happening mm-hmm. and it's it was harder for me to read. It's like right like the drugs and the sex and the self-destructive behavior. I mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard for me. I, I just feel so like nervous for people and so the smart move the way this one of the reasons this series really worked for me is I knew that they had been through that but we get the sense that they've come out on the other side and now Mm. it's like the healing part like we're there for the healing part yeah and you know what Kristen does so well in this book and then again in fall is sort of tackling the betrayal that everybody kind of feels yeah you know the um and this is really this isn't I feel like Scotty from the jump kind of can see the forest for the trees, right? Mm-hmm. Like he can – it's personal for him because these are his people and these are his friends and these are his brothers. But like he can see how harmed everybody yes. is in the whole scenario, which is part of why his relationship with Sophie is so powerful because like she was a big part of the harming. Or she was a witness to it. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of it, but, like, as a paparazzi, like, as somebody who is in the paparazzi, like, she comes at it from a very different perspective, Mm -hmm. too. And, like, her – it's a challenge. Like, again, the sort of layering of character here – character becomes conflict over and over in this book. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, and one more thing is just that, like – it's also like unspoken throughout the entire book that the the reason they need someone like Sophie on staff is because of the way everyone is watching to see if Jax is really okay. Yeah. Right? This isn't a job they needed before. But no yeah. one ever says that. We no. just we just know, right? Yeah. And I uh, yeah, it's it's really beautifully done oh god and also bananas sexy well here's the other thing so here there's like three things that shouldn't work for me like i can only sleep with you like present tense which and then 
like the slowest of fucking burns, right? <gasps> no, but it's it's so good it's though. So slow, but it's not slow. It's I mean, not like, slow. They're on fire from the start. Yes, they just don't do it for a while. But exactly. they sure like. Oh yeah. well, every inner. I mean, this is where I'm like, if you think you want to write a slow burn, read this book. Yeah, this because is a good one. It. You know, one of the reasons I hate the slow burn is I think it's really hard to make it happen without me being bored. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this one is that the slow burn comes, it doesn't, like, I'm always, I always have to be reminded yeah. that they don't do it until, like, pretty late in the book. They don't even kiss till, like, 70%. Ask me how I know. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the thing is, like, you say that, in, and I just reread this book, like, this week, and you're, like, 70%, and I'm like, that can't be true. Like, it just feels so, because they're, it's so intimate. Well. It's so intimate. Yes. And I think that's the mistake, like, right? If, like, the mistake I think people make is, I want this to be a slow burn, so I'm going to move this character off page. Yeah, I'm going to keep them apart. And you can't do that. <laughs> no. Readers and this, don't want it. This slow Stop burn it. If your is characters like, are separate. I'm going to do yes, sorry. No. A rule. McLean rule. <laughs> Pro cop rule. <laughs> like, but you cannot, if your characters, if you are writing a romance novel and the characters, two, three, five, ten, I don't care how many characters there are, if they're going to end up together, right? All of them. Yes. In one room. Yes. In one bed. And you, like, you cannot spend more than one chapter Away from each other. Agreed. And frankly, like, I gotta say, is there a way for you to shorten that chapter? Like, (laughs) I mean, and I'm telling you this as somebody who has spent a lot of time writing books for romance readers. Yes. And romance readers, first of all, half of them skip those chapters, you guys. (laughs) I'm sorry, but it's true. And you all know it because if you are a diehard romance reader, you too have skipped those chapters. Sure. So one, don't waste energy, time, or plot on those chapters because a lot of readers aren't reading them. And two, like readers want the two characters or three characters or however many characters we have fall in love to be on the page falling in love. Yes. That is the whole banana. That's the ball game. And I think that's (laughs) the part where I feel like, and I, we haven't. I don't think on the podcast have talked about my real plane like, rule over. I was like, <laughs> the pro cop amendment is here's, here's what it is. I've been, you know, I went through a big struggle with like these, a lot of books coming out that I feel like really are like, and I hate this phrase, like I'm going to say mainstream fiction, like not women's fiction, but you know, part of me is like, and I feel like the pattern I kept seeing is we get one of the characters, usually the heroine, if we're going to call it women's fiction, right, on page, really without the romantic partner. And these are almost always like male-female romances and cishet. Like these, this sort of pattern I'm describing, I'm not really seeing in queer romance. But it's like we get them on page with like another problem, a work problem, a whatever problem, for like a, a solid hundred pages before that love interest enters, Or so it's Mm -hmm. either like the love interest is either gone from the first quarter or the other place they go missing is the third quarter. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, and uh, all right. I don't want to jump in as a writer. I don't want it. Like, you know this because you are now not just my writer, but also my like mainly wife. (laughs) But the I mean, like the you 
you know that, you know, the struggle is real in the first quarter and the third quarter. Yeah. I mean, like the first quarter, it's hard to get it right. Oftentimes writers are writing in the wrong or they're starting in the wrong place. Yep. Like they've written a bunch of backstory that isn't necessary. I know this because no word of a lie, you guys. Every time I set pen to paper, I sit down, I start a book, I finish the first hundred pages, I hand it to my editor and she says to me, start here. I don't care. I don't care about the first 50 pages of this book. (laughs) And it's always because it's backstory. It's well, they need to know the reader needs to know like where she was on the night of, you know, September 3rd, (laughs) 16 years ago. So we start there because chronologically that's important. Like, you know, your brain, like writing is hard. Revision is everything. It's a drop of water in the desert. And, um, and like the reality is that, uh, the beginning is hard, right? So that's part of it. Um, and then the third quarter is real hard because it's the time between all the conflict at the beginning of the book and the dark moment and the like, all is lost, like night of night of all being lost at the end. So you sort of know the climactic bits that are coming, but you're not there yet. And, it, you know, Carolyn Sparks used to describe writing a book as she once described writing a book to me as a football game. Like she thinks of it as a football game. And the third quarter is when they're falling in love. Yeah. And like you come back from inner from intermission. It's not intermission. <laughs> Sports ball. What is it? Um, you come back from halftime and like you're powered up again, but like, and, but there's not a whole lot that happens in the third quarter. Like, you know, it, you're really saving up anything can happen in the fourth quarter, but you're saving up that third quarter of work and it's where they fall in love. Yeah. And that can be really slow if you haven't teed up enough conflict, if they've already, they're already in love or like there's a lot. It's magic, right? A yeah. little bit. Yeah. And um, I think that in in many books, part of that challenge, I'm, and I worry, so I write for a living, right, in the world, and I have talked already at this podcast about being a slow writer. And I think for fast writers or people who are, f- I'm very lucky, right? Like I don't have to publish six books a year. I don't have to publish two books a year. And for people who are writing fast because they have to. They're, you know, feeding the beast. They're responding to publisher demands. They're responding to reader demands. I think sometimes like that first and third quarter can be flabby and like wrong because they don't have the time to think about it. To like it. tighten it. And that sucks, P.S. Yeah. Like that really does. And and it's like p- pushing writers to publish faster and faster is harming the genre. And it's harming those people. Yeah. And like self-care. I yeah. mean, I don't know how these people do it. Yeah. It's really hard. I And I hate it because I feel like books, great books are worth waiting for. You know, they just are. And I know that's easy for me to say. But I, I think the thing about this book and about like the art of the slow burn is that this – Sometimes I feel like people, I, I, and you know what? I know that I'm a very exacting reader, but I love the genre. Slow burn cannot mean that you let the embers go down to such a degree that there's like no heat left in them. Mm-hmm. So it's very rare to find, I think, a slow burn book that is hot all the way through. 
that like their longing is supercharged. The intensity of the fact that they are together, this like interiority of the world they're creating, the intimacy, you know, along with, you know, sort of the the very real um, fears they both have about like sort of past mistakes and not wanting to, you know, to to make those again. I think that's a it's a really honestly, it's a it's a pretty much a perfect book. I mean, I think that there's a way mm. in which, you know, we talk about books that blooded us, but you know, we're, we've also talked about books that we think are really um, like doing something really well. And I think that that's one thing this book does really mm-hmm. well is it's like a slow burn that, that is not like losing any of the momentum or heat or, tension between these two in fact it's just like ratcheting it up to like a higher and higher degree and i think it's really momentous and then you know the when they finally do i mean and it's not necessarily even that like sex is the payoff because i don't know that that's necessarily the case although it it kind of is there's this amazing scene where he like it's so dirty he finds her underwear that like in the bathroom and it's not washed and he like jerks off with it. I and it is, it. it was, I was like, put it in my veins. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. I mean, and that's it. It's like, this is, you know, I mean, oh, it is so good. And that's the thing, so too. Good. You're like, I feel well, like and she's woof. so like into sex, too. Like, it's really oh, yeah. magnificent. And like, right, at, even at the very end, like, that uh, I don't I mean at the end they get out they're on a plane again mm-hmm. and there's this like very big like you know grand gesture on a plane and and she's like I can't believe we're on like you got on a plane for me because yeah. he hates planes and he's like well I mean you're more important than being yeah. afraid of flying right like I just like I, of course I got on a plane for you and she's like well I guess I'm just going to have to, like, give you a big BJ the whole way to wherever we're going. (laughs) And I'm like, I love it. Like, I love how – and he's so buttoned up and, like, he's wearing his suit and is, like – I mean, I love – I was was uh, rereading it and also from the beginning this week. And I love that, like, he's wearing a sweater vest when they meet. Like, he's – I know you do. I know you do. I've met your husband. I know. Mr. Reed's romance is very handsome in a sweater vest. (laughs) And I like, and I just like, he's so tightly wound. Oh, yeah. Which is also why when he goes to bare knuckle fight. Oh, God. I'm like, yeah, give it to me. (laughs) Of course you are. More, 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 more. I mean, like, you guys, I'm basically writing, I'm finishing the third book in in the Bare Knuckle Bastards series right now. And I texted Jen the other day and I was like, I don't know, this whole book, I don't know. It's like, all fighting and fucking. And of course I was like, let's do tequila shots and get it done, Sarah. <laughs> and the reality is like the second that he like turns up to like fucking Tom Hardy fight. Oh God. I'm there. I'm just there. Like, yes. I mean, Kristen. this is, on. yeah. I mean, this, this hero it's like, I mean, and I get this, it's like perfectly crafted to hit every single one of like my like 
pleasure points as a reader, yeah. right? Because I feel like Kristen should come on the podcast because I feel like we would agree. Oh, God, yes. It would be a lot of like, yes, I also love that. Mm-hmm, right, know, exactly. But that's thing. it too, right? Oh, yeah. Like, and I feel like this is the, this hero who is so tightly wound that he's afraid of unwinding, right? Yeah. And to the point where he like literally makes himself sick. And I think that's like then the other thing about this book, like there's the whole background is this forward movement, right? We're traveling, we're on planes and buses and we're going from city to city. And, you know, we're in all these fabulous conveyances. And then when they finally like do it, right? And they 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 have to go away on like a vacation for two weeks. And then we get this like sun-drenched like, it's just the two of them mm-hmm. finally, right? And it's, like, again, like, the intimacy and the way they are together and the sense that, um, you know, they are – and uh, that they really have, like, found each other. Mm-hmm. And that she calls him Sunshine, which is fucking hilarious because mm-hmm. he's not mm-hmm. at all. He is a rain cloud. <laughs> right? But he, he, like, finds that. He finds that in himself. But then, you know, he calls her chatty girl, which I don't really, it's kind of a funny, but it works. But then at the end, in like the low moment for them is, it's a really also interesting how it's done because they have the kind of fight where you as the reader are just like, just slow down and talk to each other. And mm-hmm. here is this woman who has done nothing but like talk, talk, talk the entire time. And she just like stonewalls him. Well, she's just done. She's done. I don't want to do it anymore. And you didn't just believe me. You didn't just trust me. And and then we get like, and it's really fascinating too. We talk a lot about like whose point of view, like who has the most to lose in this moment. Yes. And it's really fascinating because it's like this, one of those cascading fights that like happens over like several hours almost or several, like a conversation and then it switches, right? She's yeah. like, I'm going to go pack. And then she comes back out and they fight some more. And you're not quite sure why, who's feeling what and what's going on because it's this dual first person point of view. Yeah. And it's only in like the complete like the completeness of the fight when you see it from Mm -hmm. both of their sides that you see that they're both just it's like the exact wrong series of events has happened to bring out like their worst fears and it's but it's also so authentic like and this is where i want to i want to lead into fall with this Mm -hmm. because one of the things that i think Kristen does so beautifully and i think I don't think many of us do this very well. I don't think I do this very well. I think she shows you like an authentic argument between two people where at the end of it, as a reader, you're like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to fix this. Yeah. And it feels like an argument, like if you've ever been in an argument with a partner, it goes like they don't just, they're not like incendiary and like it's just hot burning flame and then like poof it's done right sometimes they drag on they drag on for hours they drag on for days Mm -hmm. like sometimes they drag on for longer like and and that sort of long slow argument over hours that ends in them separating from each other feels so real and it hurts more yes right like and that's not like that's not how I write an argument. Like my my hero and her, when they have an argument, like it's fucking bananas. And then they're like separated. Then they're, yeah. you know, they're like, fuck off. And everybody's 
in different places and it's got, it's happened over 10 minutes. And, but I think it takes real skill. You know, she is doing real skillful emotional work. Yeah. In yeah. this book. And also in fall. Cause we're, you know, I, I want to be cognizant of like, we fall is not the book for the week, but it is my favorite in the series and part, and it's my favorite for a lot of reasons. But part of the reason why fall is so powerful to me is because so the the setup for fall for those of you who haven't listened to the rockstar episode um is Jax is the character who has sort of set this whole series in motion by mm-hmm. attempting suicide um and he has been going to therapy and he mm. has been rehab really trying right? yeah he's been in rehab he's been really working on himself and like working to be better for himself and for these people but he's like consumed by secrets because he's terrified of showing any like this is his family yeah but he is terrified of showing any of these people the truth the scary thoughts that he has and yeah. like we all have scary thoughts and people who have been through depression and suicidal thoughts like have understand that the like weight of worry yeah from all the people who care about you is worse sometimes than like anything you can put on yourself like you just feel like such a burden yeah um and of course that's not the like you are not a burden you are never a burden um but worry exists in the world and we worry about the people we love no matter what situation they're in and there's something so powerfully authentic about Jax's loneliness. Yeah. Like his sort of commitment to doing better, his commitment to himself, his commitment to the people around him, his commitment to his music, et cetera, et cetera, to the band. But his like immense, the immense loneliness of that burden. Yeah. And um, – Because he and, feels like he already burdened them so much. How could I yeah. keep doing this? Yeah. And so they've – you know, Scotty, because Scotty cannot not manage, right? Um, has hired uh this woman to like live in the neighbor the neighbor's apartment. The neighbor who is right, uh the idol sure guys. Killian and Liberty is like she's ostensibly like cat sitting under the and she, and but Scotty sort of machinated all of this in such oh, a yeah. way that like it everyone she thinks she's cat sitting and so does everyone else but like Scotty has a plan which is like she's really Jack's sitting yeah she'll be nearby she'll know if something's wrong she'll yeah and there's I you know I just reread the scene where and he, he says, sort of sets like, it up don't go in there like, don't talk to him but if there's something you notice just like let me know right and at that moment you're like oh he's just like i want someone on that floor i just want Mm -hmm. someone there because he because he's so he's so this goes back to scotty but like he's so grumpy and he's so it's his own i mean he's such an alpha right like he just he feels feelings and they just confuse him (laughs) and like he has all these feelings for these men that he loves and like and then on top of it, what Kristen's really doing is she's layering depression. Like she's Yeah. You know, we talk about books that teach us what romance can be and like books that do important work of romance. And like Kristen with Fall, she's saying she's saying like people who have who suffer from depression deserve love. Yeah. People who have had suicidal thoughts and who or who have attempted suicide deserve love. People who have been in rehab deserve love. 
people who have STIs yeah. because the like sort of levity of a fall. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. Because I mean, and it sounds crazy, but like people, um, the levity of fall is that it begins with this like rock star. And like, frankly, as all rock star romances should begin, <laughs> it begins with a rock star discovering that he has chlamydia. And the doctor is like, you have chlamydia. And he's like, what? <laughs> and she's like, and everyone is just like, yeah, you're a rock star. Of course you have chlamydia. And right. like, here's this guy who's been like, the one thing that he's been doing, the sort of problematic area of his life is he's just sort of like been sleeping with any anybody who's interested in sleeping with him. Sure. And so he ends up with chlamydia because, you know, that's that's a, a risk that you take. And the doctor is like, uh, you can't have sex with anybody <laughs> for a while. And yeah. he's like, what? And so he has no choice but, like, to find some sort of human connection with the cats that are next door. Right. Who is a professional friend, which is also, like, a <laughs> wild premise yeah, like, it's really interesting because also like professional friends, romance jobs. I don't know though, but like you know, it's set in New York City. I yeah. live in New York City, as you all know. It feels very authentic to me. Like, yeah, I know Kristen does not live in New York City, but it feels like very New York to me. Yeah, and um, and I had this moment reading it. I remember reading it the first time, and like when the reveal comes that she's like a professional friend, and she doesn't want to tell him that that's what she does because she doesn't like. Because it's not his business, first right. of all, and also like she just she just doesn't she doesn't she doesn't want that to be a part of their their life, and so like but he sees her out like on a friend date that she's being paid for, and he's like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. Like, are you on a date with this person? And it's just so. And I had this moment where I was like, this feels like a job that in New York could exist. Like people right. are lonely. Like the whole book is about loneliness. Oh and, yeah. Like, it's about how we search for human companionship and how we search for friendship and, and how family. we search for love and family. And it's heartbreaking and magical. And yeah. it is one of my top romances of all time because of the work it does around yeah. just how you exist as a human in the world. Like we talk about the sexuality spectrum and, you know, ace and arrow and like people who, who are in um, the A yeah. part of the, of the LBGTQA spectrum. And, um, and I think this is a romance novel that really speaks, to, could speak to people um, who are looking for that kind of, of feeling too, because it feels so human. Yeah. It sort of takes, it's also, I mean, yes, it's also extremely sexy and, like, there is a very deep love story there. But, like, there's something – she's doing something else with that book, too. I think the thing I, re I remember thinking about, and I had a pretty busy week, so I didn't get to reread the whole thing, was being really struck by um, – for both – is her name Stella? Mm, yes. Okay. For both Stella and Jax, one of the things that I found really poignant was that – through doing what they love the most, they also, like, found, like, it made them more lonely. They're, like, we, like, we talk a big game about, like, just do what you love and you'll find success. But in both of their cases, like, the doing what they love 
cut them off from the world in a way they didn't expect. Because for Jax, obviously, it's like once he becomes not just a musician, but like a superstar, his ability to just like meet people and hang out or do whatever is basically just gone. It's just compromised. And for her, I just remember thinking like it was so heartbreaking that like she reached out to be like a professional friend to people because it was just like something she was good at. But then she couldn't figure out how to just really be friends with people outside of the boundaries of this like like the relation, like these paid relationships mm-hmm. she was having, right? Like it somehow made it harder for her to just have her own friends. And I, right. and, well, I, and she doesn't, right? she's, she also comes from a family, like there's a broken a burden, family. Um, uh, there's a really interesting um, mirroring in the, like Kristen's really created two characters who mirror each other because he feels like he is such a burden to his family uh, to the to like right. the rest the, of the band, the band and the band family and she is burdened very burdened by her family yeah in this book yeah but like not in a way where like you know we're all burdened by our family a little bit but like we love them and like it's a trade-off there is no trade-off for stella like yeah. she is she is burdened by her family but very alone yeah and and that has made it very difficult for her to love and be loved. Yeah. And I, and that's it. I feel like, um, you know, these in, in managed, it's, it's all about control, right? Like what can you control? What can you not control mm-hmm. in this book? It's all about loneliness. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I love romance, but I love romance. I love it all. But committing really powerful to like a theme in this way is not something every every book does and that's okay but i feel like these ones that do really commit to the idea of exploring fully like what does it mean to be lonely and what does it mean to feel that your like emotional needs are a burden on the people you love even though you know they shouldn't be and Mm. what if other people's emotional needs really are a burden to you i mean or like what does it mean to like give up control or I mean all of that I think it's just really these are characters that are really doing like emotional the kind of emotional lifting that like I just think is so brilliant in romance and like yeah what I'm there for yeah I mean and also and I mean I cannot stress enough like they're also they're also funny and sexy and like there's this great scene in fall where they're in like his favorite guitar Mm. like shop in the on the Lori side and like he picks up a guitar and he like plays a song and like it's that it gives you it scratches all the itches if you're a rock star romance fan like you've probably read this book one but if you Mm -hmm. haven't this one will scratch every every itch like yeah and it just oh she's so good and I'm so glad you picked this because I was ready I wanted to reread something that I knew I would like just be able to like lose myself in yeah oh and that's it that's how these books really worked for me although sometimes i do have to rewrite the narration in my head oh my god get over it i can't i can't (laughs) i try so hard but it's first person (laughs) it's not first person it's it's present tense oh it's present first person's fine i don't have a problem first person yeah yeah all right 
Whatever. We all have our burdens, our crosses to bear. I know. Eric's going to be like, I'm deleting this part because it's boring. Fine. It is boring. (laughs) Jen has struggles. Time has no meaning. Whatever. Um, All right. We don't. What are we doing next? I don't even know if we know. I don't know. You want to do Lorraine Heath? Sure. You want to do Waking Up with the Duke? Yes. Yeah. We're going to have to save Kingdom of Dreams till after your deadline, I think. Yeah, I'm sorry, you guys. We have to. I know, I know we said Kingdom of Dreams. I know some of you are reading it. I hope you're really loving it. Um, but we'll get it there is eventually. A, it is an epic, epic book, and I want to read it beginning to end, and I can tell you I will not until this book is turned in. Sure. But that's going to happen real soon. So. Woo! I mean, knock on wood. <laughs> so, although now just talking about all the – literally, I was sitting here talking about Managed and Fall, and I was like, oh, i got to fix my book. So <laughs> – if you are a writer who listens to us and you feel this way every week, know that you are not alone. Just keep it I tight in you. the keep it tight in the third quarter, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe try deleting the first 50 pages of your manuscript. And yeah. <laughs> Go from there. So, all right. This is Faded Mates and uh, you can call us. Yes. You can call us and tell us about the book that blooded you as a romance reader. We want to hear about them. If you aren't listening to these recordings at the end of the episode, you really are missing out. Like, some of them are really... They're great. They're all fabulous, but some of them are, like, really special. Yeah. And uh, that telephone number, which you will only hear here in your ear holes, is 646-450-3766. You can leave us a message. You can buy Faded Mates pins and pegging pins oh and and kelly is like test driving some new ones for me from some of our old episodes and they are really fantastic so and stickers oh faded mates t-shirts are coming (gasps) and so excited um they're not here yet but they are coming and they will be available through the Jordan Denae shop. But right now you can buy the first two shirts from that collection. But there will be a specific Faded Mates t-shirt. Um, Faded Mates is produced by Eric Mortensen. Find us on Twitter at Faded Mates or on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod. Don't forget to that we're having an, a reading challenge. Uh, the January reading challenge is read a book that blooded you and tell, tell us, us all about it. it. And if you know anybody at iHeartRadio, just remember that we have a great podcast. Don't yeah, feel Jen afraid. wants an award, everyone. I would like an award. <laughs> it can be like on a paper plate. It can be like tries the hardest. Oh, our next live Faded Mates episode is in Chicago at Spring Fling. We'll put links to Spring Fling in the show notes as well. You know, if you'd like to join us, that would be great. So stay tuned on that, Chicago. And of course, we'll both be at KissCon in April, but I think those tickets are sold out. Those tickets, you cannot pop in on that. Yeah. Uh, Actually, it's two live episodes because you and I are doing one alone at the beginning of April, and then we're doing... uh, episode with the heaving bosoms wicked wildflowers it's it's a triple threat (laughs) it's gonna be amazing all right my friends uh go read a book you love go reread i'm giving you permission right now to go reread a book you really really love it's the best yeah all right good night good night hi this is uh blondie text my Twitter handle, uh, a.k.a. Chris, and uh, really have enjoyed Faded Mates. And um, in terms of the books that blooded me, um, the first romance books 
I think I read were like Endless Love in junior high or, or Forever, Judy Bloom, that kind of thing. Um, I think I also read A Rose in Winter. It was my mom's book. But it really didn't get me into romance until I was in college and I read The Bride by Julie Garwood. Um, I think it was a book that I got from, you know, one of those book of the month club kind of things. I had been reading like Barbara Cartland and Harlequins and stuff like that. And I got The Bride and it was so good. I just loved the alpha hero and that she, though, was like feisty and she was, you know, grew up adopted daughter of uh, Native Americans, and she, he was a spy, which I guess I got into, and he was kind of like the spy from the Regency, and I loved the Regency period because I was a history major, specializing in European history, so I think that got to me. Um, so that really got me into historicals, and I've always loved Julie Garwood ever since then, and even suffered, I like her, her contemporaries, but uh and then in terms of I'm a huge paranormal reader, and I think the first paranormal, I mean, other than, like, reading The Dragon, the fall books by, um, oh, goodness, now I'm blanking on her name, uh, Anne McCafferty, because I used to read all about Madeline Lingle. But I think the first kind of, like, kind of paranormal that had romance in it was Laurel K. Hamilton, Guilty Pleasures, because it was kind of that alternative world and she just really did the world building and I think that's always been a huge thing the world building and so I think that's why I love Alona Andrews and Nalini Singh and um, uh, Patricia Briggs and all of that because the world building is kind of key so I guess those are kind of the two big books that really blooded me so the, the Bride by Julie Garwood for historicals and Guilty Pleasures by Laurel K. Hamilton, even though it goes off the rails later. But um, uh, Laurel K. Hamilton's Guilty Pleasures uh, for the Anita Blake series. Thank you, guys, and really, really enjoy the podcast. And I've had a great time listening to both of you and following you guys on Twitter.